This is The Drive Podcast with Josh Graham. Welcome to the internet, my friend. How can I help you? Check out The Drive weekday afternoons at 3 on WSJS Sports. to have you on a Tuesday drive. You are listening to WSJS News Talk Sports for the Triad, where this Wake Forest baseball team is so good, I'm not worried about jinxes with them. I'm not worried about curses or whatever comes along with me forcefully having a take about them or a prediction that says that they're going to do something positive, albeit I'm hearing a lot of that from nervous Wake Forest fans after their win last night. The Deacons beat LSU in a clash of titans, which means they're going to play for a national championship in Omaha. Because if they don't at this point, shocked wouldn't come close to capturing the feeling if that didn't happen. Shocked wouldn't be the right word. We need something a little bit stronger. Just think about it like this. The Deeks would have to lose two in a row in order for their season to end. They'd have to lose tomorrow night and on Thursday night, facing the winner of Tennessee-LSU tonight, meaning Tennessee and LSU would have to win on three consecutive days, playing four consecutive, and in five of six days. Imagine the strain that'll have on a pitching staff. Meanwhile, Wake Forest has the best pitching staff in America, gets a day off, doesn't have to play an extra game, and they didn't use Seth Keener last night or Sean Sullivan. Still figured out a way to win in the eighth against the Tigers. That is so overwhelming of an advantage. Wake's not going to lose. And if you don't buy that, consider this. Wake's played in over 60 games this year. They're closing in on 65 games that they've played in. They have not lost back-to-back games this year. So something would have to happen that literally has not happened the entire season for Wake Forest to not play for a national championship series. And Florida's going to be their opponent. Florida's in the same position as Wake Forest, and quietly, they've handled their business despite the fact they're the number two team in the country. You would think that they would get more attention, but it's kind of strange. They've flown under the radar LSU has been deemed as the number two team in the country all year long, even though in this tournament, Florida has the number two national seat and they've won seven in a row, just like Wake Forest has. They've won seven in a row. They've been dominant. They're in the SEC as well. They're a championship program. They've won a championship more recently than Wake Forest has. That's for sure. Florida is going to be the opponent, but with respect to the Gators, last night felt like a national title. That's what it felt like. So, Spare me the talk about, oh, you know, act like you've been there. Wake hasn't been there. Or at least not in the lifetime of anybody who was in attendance, or at least most people, the overwhelming majority of those in attendance, because there are some crew from the 1955 team. There is a crew that is in Omaha that was a part of that team. Wake hasn't been there. These guys haven't been there. LSU, as a program, has. And Wake beat them. And all year long, it's been about Wake being number one and LSU being number two. They're the only teams in the country this year that have been ranked number one in the country. And last night was a high-level, high-intensity game. 
And the point that decided it was in the eighth when LSU had a runner barreling towards the plate and a third baseman from Wake, Brock Wilkin, had to bobble the baseball a couple of times, struggling to handle the thing, delivered a ball to home plate. There was no play to be made at first with no outs in the eighth. And Bennett Lee grabbed it, applied the tag, out at the plate. Wake doesn't allow a run in the top half. In the bottom half, the same Bennett Lee that made that tag had the hit that put Wake Forest in front. And here was Bennett Lee after the game talking about that key moment that if Wake Forest does win a national title is going to go down and Demon Deacon Lore is one of the greatest plays in the history of this program. I think it starts with the uh, the mound visit we had. Actually, Coach Walter um, told me to tell Brock uh, to, to maybe get the out at home if we have it. Um, so that was already in our heads coming into it. And then Beloso hits a little squibber, and, and it was actually a really good play by Brock. He said the ball's literally still spinning in his glove when he went to throw it. So just an unbelievable play to even get the ball to me. Um, and then from my perspective, I've done millions of picks in my in my life, and I just took over. Um, you know, I, I got good hands, and, and it just took over. An excellent play. Wake Forest would be an overwhelming fa- favorite against Florida if they went head-to-head. It's worth noting, the Deeks, 10 for 10 in three-game series this year. They have not lost a three-game series. They have not lost back-to-back games this year. There are crazy stats to attach to this Wake team. So curses, jinxes, you can have all that. Wake's going to play for a national championship. On Twitter at WSJS Radio. That's where we're streaming video in addition to YouTube and Twitch. Will Dalton, the executive producer of this show. And usually you seem pretty supportive of me. Right now, you look like you're like shaken with fear. That you're overcome with fear. I can see it in your eyes. What are you worried about? I'm not afraid. I, well, I'm afraid for our Wake fans. You look li- pretty afraid right now. I'd just like to... Soaked doing- with fear. Oh, yeah. I'm just, you want whoa. no part... You don't want to be attached whoa. to this. You're not with me? I'm just... I, I'm worried for our Wake fans. I'd like to apologize to our Wake fans for them being scared. I don't want them to be frightened. I said Wake wasn't going to lose the first just- weekend... Boom, put that flag in the ground. I did. Wake didn't. I said Wake wouldn't lose a game the first weekend in the regional. They didn't. I said Wake would go 2 0 against Bama. They did, and they hung 20 on the tide. Which means it could be coming. Wake is immune to <laughs> no, my charms. don't say that. To my evil. They are. Oh. Shifting things. When the Carolina Panthers were the epicenter of NFL conversation, it was fun a few months ago. They traded up for the number one pick, David Tepper. You know, the guy who brought music to Charlotte, the music man bringing concerts to he the area. Concerts. Yeah, that guy. It was all in good fun when that happened, right? Showing up to all the, with a huge convoy, to all the workouts, CJ Strouds, Will Levis's, Bryce Young's. It was fun because the Panthers were the most relevant they've been in five years. David Tepper, he drunk it all in. The Charlotte Hornets are currently the epicenter of NBA conversation, but it's not nearly as enjoyable because they're a wild card and nobody has a feel for what they're going to do. And most people who follow the team because of past history are just assuming, it's like PTSD, that they're going to do the wrong thing. They are the greatest wild card in the NBA right now. The draft Starts with them, just like it did with the Panthers a couple months back. The draft starts with Charlotte. Vegas is saying that Scoot Henderson is going to be the pick. The NBA draft experts are saying it's going to be Brandon Miller. 
And then there's the there are the rumors out there that they could potentially trade out. And there are suitors. It seems like Orlando has an interest in getting up to take Scoot Henderson. New Orleans with Zion and Brandon Ingram, maybe the Houston Rockets. And Jalen Green's name continues to get thrown around. There are teams that are being attached to Charlotte because they're interested in Scoot Henderson that has led to a little bit more speculation being there ahead of Thursday night. We know Victor Webanyama is going to go number one overall. We don't have any clue what's going to happen when Charlotte makes their pick. We also don't know much about these two new majority owners. As that's happening with Charlotte, they also had the sale last week and there's these two new majority owners that we don't know how they're going to dictate things. Are, gonna, are they going to dictate things right away? Are they going to say, we don't want to deal in our first couple of months, first couple of weeks as majority owners with the Brandon Miller background info? We don't want to deal with that PR nightmare. Are they going to dictate that? Wojnarowski, Woj, he's saying that Michael Jordan is running day-to-day operations in Charlotte this week. He interviewed, was part of the interviews with Brandon Miller and Scoot Henderson with their workouts yesterday. So nobody really knows how much influence does Michael have? Are the new owners a part of this process? They're a complete wild card. And then the tertiary stuff that's around this, Mellow Ball hasn't signed that extension yet. We all think he's going to because nobody's really turned that down. There's just such, such a great risk to turning down that type of money this early on in your career. But that still hasn't happened. And what's going to happen with Miles Bridges? Because that's another PR situation that a lot of teams don't want to deal with. But if Charlotte has an adult conversation about it, he's going to play somewhere. So if you want to be the moral people saying, yes, we will not have Miles Bridges on our team. Okay, that's fine. He's going to play somewhere else. Maybe Charlotte ultimately decides, holds their nose a bit and says, if he's going to play somewhere, if he's not going to be completely blackballed, and he won't, well, why not play for us? Why not help our basketball team and help our organization? A lot of unanswerable questions. Charlotte, the greatest wild card in the NBA right now. This is it. You ready? All right, hold on. All right, do it, do it. All right, listen up. It's The Drive with Josh Graham. Every week during the offseason, during the summer, you see the stories about realignment. Regardless of how airtight it seems the grant of rights is, that will not stop a Pete Thamel report from last week saying, Virginia and North Carolina, oh, they would be picked over Florida State and Clemson. And every single time we see one of those stories, you never really see anybody include little old Wake Forest, even though... When the revenue distribution model was announced a couple of weeks back, Wake Forest, their coaches were the ones quoted as being most excited about it because if it's performance-based that this revenue is going to be distributed, well, Wake has done better than pretty much anybody when you consider the national championships and Olympic sports and, and baseball potentially in the next week or so. ACC Coaches of the Year in football and in men's basketball the last couple of years as well, and and nearly winning an ACC championship in football just a couple of years back. But you will never see Wake Forest included in any of those stories. Why? Because uh, smaller school and eh, brands and ratings and all that stuff. Andrew Carter wrote about this, the award-winning 
reporter from the News and Observer, who's going to be recognized as the North Carolina Sports Writer of the Year this weekend, and Winston-Salem, the National Sports Media Association's North Carolina Sports Writer of the Year. He joins us now. Let me ask the question to you that you posed in the story. Is there going to be a place for Wake Forest wherever this is all heading if the Deeks continue to perform? That, yeah, I mean, that's that's the question. Um, and unfortunately, I don't know if, if anyone has a great answer. And, you know, I kind of broke one of my cardinal rules of, uh, of writing stories is that, you know, you, you try to avoid posing a question that you don't really answer. Um, and I didn't answer that question in the story. And, yeah. You know, I think it just remains to be seen. I, you know, the point I was trying to get across, and you alluded to it just now, Josh, is basically like, you know, you can make an argument that Wake has kind of positioned itself as uh, favorably as just about any ACC school based on stuff that happens within the lines. Uh, you know, especially you look at, um, you know, football has kind of outpunched its weight for a long time. They kind of, you know, that silly argument I made about App State last year, which I heard a lot from Wake folks, but the same argument applies for Wake, uh, you know, doing more with less. Uh, you know, we're seeing what their baseball program has done, women's golf national champions. Um, you know, you go on and on down the list, but, you know, it's that question of does that matter? Um, and the larger takeaway to me is, like, if that doesn't matter, then, you know, kind of what are we doing? uh in college athletics like is this is this just going to be an enterprise where uh you know only your brand matters or how many people happen to watch uh your football games you know it just it the whole thing just becomes really silly uh to me when you talk about the future of college athletics and where it's all headed uh and you'd like to say that wake forest has proven itself and uh, deserves that place at the table as much as anybody but yeah, I mean, frankly, we don't know. Uh, you know, I can't answer that. John Curry posed the same question to him. Uh, didn't have an answer for it. Uh, Dave Boston talked about it last month at ACC Spring Meetings, and you know, his argument has been consistent in that, you know, if it's about investment, if it's about results, Wake Forest has to feel pretty good. Andrew Carter. But, but is it about those things? Andrew Carter is on Twitter at underscore Andrew Carter. Read his stuff, News Observer. Dot com. You mentioned spring meetings, which you were at in Amelia Island. As somebody who cares a lot about many of the, the schools, the stability of these schools in this state, both big and small, what was the most alarming thing that you heard or were told, either on the record or off of it, when you were in Amelia Island? Yeah, you know, I think it's just this sense of fracturing within the conference. And, the, you know, the ACC... You know, as a league, Jim Phillips, the commissioner on down within the, you know, the league offices and stuff, they're putting on a happy face, they're talking, um, you know, positive messaging, all that stuff. Um, but there's a real divide. Uh, and, and Nina King had that quote, the Duke athletic director, in the story, just the sense of here we go kind of a thing. And, you know, that magnificent seven stuff, and we can kind of roll our eyes and have some fun with that. And, you know, I love Brett McMurphy. I think he's one of the few national 
collegiate athletics reporters who's not afraid to actually write stuff that's controversial and you know maybe you know occasionally paints folks and uh, I'm not going to say a bad light, but a realistic light. So I think, you know, he's earned his, his accolades and is a fantastic reporter. But, yeah, we can make fun of, like, you know, the Magnificent Seven stuff is a little bit silly. Um, but it does create, like, this divide. And so I think there's real concern about how that plays out when you have, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to lump necessarily NC State, uh, Virginia Tech, in that group, I think really it's sort of, I don't know, a fantastic five. I just came up with that on the spot. Wow. That? Fantastic five. I could deal with that. <laughs> I, you know, you're an investigative or reporter or whatever. You, I mean, really it's like, you know, it's, and you know, your listeners know this, you know, this, but it's Florida state, it's Clemson, it's North Carolina. Uh, you know, you can argue about who number four deserves to be, but it's, you know, certainly those three. I don't want to. Um, I don't want to turn you into a karaoke machine, Andrew Carter. I don't. I don't want you to be like a DJ taking requests at the wedding. But I, if I could request, like I think this is something that could be. I know it's something I would like to read. I just want to know where the name Magnificent Seven came from. You're an investigative reporter. Movie. We need. To, oh no no no! I mean, I want to know who came up with the term for those ACC schools as Magnificent Seven. And I, mean, I, I think I, it was McMurphy. I think it was just... Oh, okay. He came up with it. I, I thought Florida State's university president or someone like that was like, hey, you know, we're the Magnificent Seven, <laughs> the tweet, in case you didn't know. The tweet know. was a little bit unclear, but I do think that was a Brett McMurphy creation. Ah, flourish. Um, which we made fun of him for down on Amelia <laughs> Island. Um, but no, I mean, to answer your question, I think it is that. I think it, I think it's just like this, this divide and how that plays out, you know, because... You know, it's just going to be a soap opera going forward, and they can all say the right things and put on the happy face and stuff. But the reality is, like, especially at, you know, Florida State, Clemson, like, come on. You know, I, I've made the joke that there's a, uh, like, an underground bunker somewhere uh, in Georgia. I don't know, the midpoint between Tallahassee and Clemson, where it's just a team of lawyers uh, working by candlelight 24 hours a day trying to hold, <laughs> find a hole in the grant of rights. Um, you know, I think that's pretty much like the reality, um, just about where they're, you know, they're doing everything they can to explore a way out. And how does that affect the other members, this unequal revenue sharing thing? You know, I think the league came up with the proper solution. It should be merit-based, <laughs> but the reality is like, that's not going to solve FSU's and Clemson's concerns, especially FSU because FSU hasn't won anything of note. Yeah. Uh, yeah, as it relates to football and, and those revenue sports. I mean, they've lost three straight to Wake. Uh, you know, so it's kind of like if if you're Michael Alford, I mean, before you start saying stuff like beat Wake Forest. It seems, it seems <laughs> uh, pretty which, simple. Which was one of the points I made in that story. Yeah, there's no doubt. Andrew Carter, make sure you read that story, newsobserver.com. How excited are you for this weekend being crowned again the North Carolina Sports Writer of the Year? Well, as I I think you had me on whenever it was that came out. I, you know, I, I maintain that Luke probably should have won it, but um, it's a nice honor. It means a lot that uh, it, you know it comes from a vote of your colleagues, people you work alongside, and sometimes compete against. Even uh, you know, so that aspect of it means a lot. And then just you know, my favorite part of it the first time I had the chance to go and was very fortunate. Then back in 2017 or 18, I guess it was the actual. Uh, ceremony. It's just, you know, seeing so many people, um, you know, friends across the industry, people you've looked up to. Uh, one of the most meaningful moments for me 
last time is I actually I met Bob Ryan uh, and I was nerding out. You know, this is a guy that grew up watching on the sports reporters. Uh, you, you know, I used to read his stuff in the library back before the Internet. We would get the Boston Globe uh, in the school library and would sit there and spread out the paper and read Bob Ryan's columns and, and stories. And, he, you know, certainly a luminary and a guy that I looked up to forever and got to meet him. And, you know, you see so many folks who have accomplished a great deal uh, in this business. And I have no idea where it's all going. <laughs> you know, a lot of the future of sports journalism stuff keeps me up at night sometimes. but. Uh, a great honor, and you know it's going to be really cool to see a lot of folks and, and make new friends and meet people. It's going to be great to see you, and uh, I think you were well-deserving. Andrew Carter, thanks for spending the time with us, and I'll see you uh, next week. All right, Josh. Thanks for having me, and, and look forward to catching up to you this weekend. No Thank doubt. You. Yeah, there goes Andrew Carter joining us from the Raleigh News and Observer. Man, Andrew, talking with Andrew... It always cheers me up because I'm a big Andrew Carter fan. But I'll tell you something that doesn't cheer me up. Seeing that my Orioles are playing the Tampa Bay Rays tonight. Oh, see, that makes me perky. Nah, it doesn't excite me. I can't wait to watch that Why does that, that excite game? you? Like, there's, I, there's no win for you. Like, one team has to win. Of course there is. If you lose. Oh, wow. Got it. Got it. It's me. Got if it. you lo- No, it, you being your O's lose, that's better for us in the division. I'm in the division with you. I know, but so is Tampa. That's the point I'm making. One of you need to lose. 51 and 24. They've won 68% of their games. They're the only team with 50 wins. Like They're five games better than the rest of the sport, even though the O's did take two out of three against them the last time they played. Just throwing that out there. You did? Uh Uh-huh. Just uh, throwing that out there. Also, the atmosphere is going to be terrible because it's Tampa. you got two of the three best records in the sport. No one's going to be there. That's going to be fun. There There was a poll that actually came out that said that Major leaguers, like the overwhelming majority of them, the next place they'd like to see Major League Baseball, Nashville. Charlotte's third on that list. Is Raleigh on there somewhere? No. The Raleigh Rays, maybe? No. (laughs) It'd be Charlotte before Raleigh. Hey, Triad, this is Rich Eisen. Catch me this evening at 6 for The Rich Eisen Show. Now back to The Drive with Josh Graham. Did you know Mac Brown's the oldest FBS coach in college football right now? He's a couple months older than Nick Saban. Both are 71. But Mac Brown is going to turn 72 before the Tar Heel season begins. And despite that fact being out there, Mac wants everybody to know he wants you to stop with the retirement talk. Stop. He closed his opening remarks at his summer update press conference today with this lengthy rant. Uh, The last thing I'd like to mention, it's interesting. um, Then just about every recruit that comes in asks me if I'm going to quit because they said all the coaches recruiting against us say you're you're quitting. And I said, uh, well, I haven't talked to any of them. And there were a number of them last year that said I was quitting that got fired. So they probably ought to worry more about their jobs than mine. And then I thought it's probably the best compliment I could ever have that they want me to quit. So that's a, I want to thank them. So I'm, I'm publicly thanking all of you all who are saying I'm going to quit uh, because it's a, it's a great compliment. I'm in better shape than I've been in 20 years. 
I'm working harder than I've been in 20 years. I'm really excited about where this program is and where it can go. Uh, and I sure wouldn't be sitting in on Sunday afternoon talking to a, an unofficial visit of a guy from the class of 26 if I was planning on quitting. So, no, I'm not planning on quitting. Questions? Whoa! <laughs> you know how people say something that doesn't sound impolite, but in an impolite <laughs> way? Questions? <laughs> it's like you ever have somebody tell you to turn down your music or to pipe down at a library or something. And then when you do, they say, thank you. Questions. Even though they're saying a nice thing, thank you. They're saying it with the most hatred. They're essentially saying, yeah, screw you. Questions. With the way that they say that. <laughs> Thank you. It's hard to say something more condescending or mean the way that someone might say, thank you. Questions. That's the vibe I got from Mac Brown, punctuating <laughs> that statement about his retirement, throwing in there that some of the coaches that recruited against him for air quote, saying that he was going to quit, had already been fired. Questions. Questions. Firm. Just finish that statement, and as the great dismount, the thank you questions, screw off type of statement. <laughs> questions, questions. You hear it, right? Of course, I hear it. You hear it. Now let's try to figure out which coaches he was talking about, because he wasn't. He didn't say ACC coaches. It's worth noting. He didn't say coaches in the league. However. Hard not to imagine maybe the regionally the coach at Georgia Tech, Jeff Collins, seems like the type of guy who might negatively recruit, might have been one of those guys. Questions? Maybe. <laughs> I'm just looking regionally. I don't think Scott Satterfield did. Even though he wasn't fired, he jumped from Louisville to Cincinnati. I know they have a good relationship. That wouldn't make a lot of sense. Who else would have recruited negatively against him? Not Seth Luttrell, who used to be one of his assistants. At North Texas. Jamie Chadwell, maybe, at Coastal Carolina? Eh, probably not. Liberty? Hugh Freeze? Well, he wasn't fired. He left to take the Auburn job. Brian Harson at Auburn? Questions? Those, those are the coaches that come to mind immediately. I think Jeff Collins, probably the top candidate that Mac was talking about. This is a fruitless exercise, too. Mac talking about, hey, don't mention the fact that I might quit or I might retire. You're 71. You're going to turn 72 before the season starts. You're, you're not going to stop people from wondering. You're not going to stop coaches from negatively recruiting, too. We know Dave Doran was one of the coaches that negatively recruited against Carolina that way. We know that. The Athletic had a big story about it a couple of years ago. But this is not going to stop until ultimately he does retire, and it's fair to wonder that after Drake May decides to leave and he doesn't have the, air quote, bona fide elite top five pick type of quarterback if Mac wants to keep doing this at 73 years old and beyond. So he said he felt better than he has in the last 20 years in those comments. Here's what he gave the credit to for shedding pounds and feeling the way that he does. I started fasting uh, and I don't eat till 
11.30 or 12 after trying not to eat after 8 at night. And then I, I try to eat this much instead of this much of every portion. And I, I cut out all sugar. And I love my, I don't, can I get in trouble with a sponsorship if I said I, I love my diet peach snapple. And I was having six of them. And they cut me down to one. So now I take the one and I sip it very carefully because I know I've got to use it for the whole day. So I, Diet peach snapple? Are you a Snapple person? I am not. Snapple, it's the drink that has like a fact underneath yeah, the lid. The cap, right? Uh-huh. I'm thinking of the right thing, ain't I? I, th- I think I've had two Snapples ever in my life. But never a diet peach no. Snapple. Well, I thought Snapples were supposed to be healthy already. Yeah, well, that's why he has them. But he's only limited to one. one I'm snapple. not on the diet train. Well, like, he said diet he, he said no sugar. I lost 30 pounds in six months last year preparing for my wedding, but I didn't cut out sugar in order to do so. Then again, I didn't have many sodas during that process. By the way, I haven't really picked up much of that wake back, by the way. No. Haven't. Most of it is diet related, like when you eat. When you eat is such an important thing. Oh, it is. I don't eat breakfast. So I do most days. Intermittent fasting. Haven't the last few days with the anniversary and some of the cakes that we've enjoyed. Mac Brown. Feeling good. Losing weight and drinking uh, diet pink Snapple. Questions. Peach Snapple. Plenty of questions, Mac, that need to be answered. I guess diet peach Snapple is to Mac Brown what lemon oreos were to pete nance and what Ooh. diet coke was to roy williams they even gave him a machine as a retirement gift here's here's a diet coke or a coke machine that you can use he did love his coke outstanding stuff when we go on the air tomorrow at three o'clock the hockey hall of fame is going to make an announcement of who its next class is going to be And last year, really the last couple of years, it's been a crime that Rod Brindamore has not been included in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Here's to hoping that that changes this time around. I think this is the first year that uh, Justin Williams is eligible for the Hockey Hall of Fame. But Rod Brindamore who has already been an excellent coach for the Hurricanes, was a Jack Adams Award winner, was one whale of a player. Not just for the Hurricanes. He was on a Flyers Stanley Cup team that lost to the Red Wings in the 90s. He is considered one of the best defensive forwards of all time. Won the Selkie Trophy, I think, back-to-back years for his defensive play, all-time penalty killer, all-time face-off guy, all-time leader, captain the Canes to a Stanley Cup win in 2006. He was part of a team that went to the Stanley Cup final in 2002 with Carolina. Like There really isn't a blemish on this guy's resume. He's a champion. He was a captain for a championship team. He is in a, a central part to 
hockey and an organization thriving in an air quote, non-traditional hockey market. All of that should factor into this. So here's to hoping that tomorrow when the Hockey Hall of Fame makes its announcement, I'd be fine if guys like Tom Barrasso, the goalie from decades ago, who, by the way, used to be the Canes goaltender coach, if he's included, or Curtis Joseph, or you know Pat Eliash, if, if any of those guys, Keith Kachuk, Henrik Zetterberg, you know, Ver, uh, Henrik Lundqvist, if any combination of those names are included just as long as 17 is included as well, as, as long as Rod Brindamore is one of those names too. Here's to hoping when we go on the air tomorrow that that is the case. You're on the drive with Josh Graham, WSJS. Darren Bott joins us now. We'll answer unusual questions in just a bit. But since he's been a preeminent expert on college baseball all throughout the year and has even an ACC baseball podcast titled ACC Baseball, etc., we need to talk about the Demon Deacons who last night might have won the game of the year in college baseball against the LSU Tigers. It's a clash of titans. We had been discussing for a long time, Darren, what has most impressed you about a Wake Forest team that would be the first to tell you they probably haven't played their best over the last two games, but are 2-0 and in Omaha? Man, isn't it great when the hype or, or, or something lives up to the hype like this game did, right? LSU and Wake Forest, the best two teams all year long in college baseball, and we got such a good game. For Wake Forest, I mean, look, like we've talked so much about the pitching staff, about the lineup, and it's fitting to me because the knock on them, especially over the past couple of seasons since they had that abysmal defensive 2021 season, the knock on them, Josh, has been their defense, which actually has not been bad. Yesterday for the first half of the game was, but then they picked it up. Yeah, I mean, and then again, a ball gets lost in the sun, whatever. That I'm not even talking about that. Like, that it came down to the momentum shift of that Brock Wilkin to Bennett Lee play down the third baseline is just fitting, and, I mean, you can call it poetic. It, of course, Brock delivered when he was at the plate. Um, I, I love that it came down to that because if you've talked to Tom Walter at all throughout this season – he would have been the first to tell you, yeah, our pitching's great. We've got a great lineup. We score 10 runs a game almost. But the defense is what people sleep on. So I love that the game came down to their defense. Yeah, and in terms of meeting the hype, it's just a really cool feeling. You're right. When a game, we've been talking about it for such a long time and the possibility of it, and then you get it and it delivers. It kind of reminded me of Duke Carolina in that sense where – well, what's it going to look like if they ever play in a Final Four? It can't possibly meet the hype. Oh, well, the game did, and it was awesome down there in New Orleans. Um, how do we feel about the likelihood, maybe not the likelihood, let's assume that Wake Forest does not lose back-to-back games for the first time this year, 
and Florida, who's won seven in a row, just like Wake Forest has, gets through as well. How would you feel about a Wake Forest-Florida championship series? About the same way that I felt going into Wake Forest-LSU last night. Florida has been sort of in the shadow of LSU for much of the year, but that is a really, really talented team um, in, in very similar ways as LSU. I, I think it would be it would make for some really, really compelling baseball when when this this tournament has been littered with with great games in Omaha already. Um I I think it would be great. I, now it's great to me from Wake Forest's perspective that they are not having to pitch their way out of a loser's bracket. And again, if they continue to win and they don't have to really fight that hard and, and extend themselves that much they're going to be in even better shape next weekend assumedly if they get there um you know we'll see lsu's capable but they're going to have to win a few games and they've only got one paul Skeens card to burn he's their ace who's had one of the most dominant pitching seasons in college baseball history um they could certainly climb back out of that loser's bracket and and turn this into a thing where Wake Forest and LSU meet again. Who knows? We'll see. But Florida Wake Forest would have all the makings of an incredible final series. In the last minute, TCU putting the finishing touches on Oral Roberts for the right to play Florida tomorrow in a semifinal game. That is a 6-1 to one final TCU extinguishing Oral Roberts and the Gummy Worms and all. LSU Tennessee, a 7 o'clock start for the right to face Wake Forest tomorrow and what would be an elimination game for the winner between the Vols and Tigers. Now let's get to unusual questions with Darren Vaught. Last week, guys, everybody made it out that I got mad at Josh and I left the press conference. That's not right. I thought it was an unusual question and it's okay. It's time for Unusual Questions with Josh Graham. If you've got one, tweet us at Josh Graham Radio at WSJS Radio. I'll get us started We learned last hour, so for Pete Nance, his vice was lemon Oreo cookies. For Roy Williams, it was Diet Coke, and he even got a Coke machine as a gift upon retiring from North Carolina. Mac Brown revealed that every single day, he limits himself to one Diet Peach Snapple. That's that's his vice beverage. Everybody who knows me knows mine is chocolate milk, so I'll refrain from going expansively <laughs> on that. What is what it what beverage is your vice if you had to name one? Is it alcoholic, Darren Vaught? No, it's it's most definitely loaded with caffeine. Like honestly, energy drinks, coffee, like I don't get through the day without copious amounts of caffeine. I could. What's your energy drink? What's your coffee order or energy drink? So I'm a I'm an iced coffee, black kind of guy. Always iced, no matter the time of year. Always black. Um, energy drink may vary, but I do prefer rain because it's not like it's not hopped up on sugar, but it is a ton of it's like 300 milligrams of caffeine. Her. So uh, now those would be those would be the two, but it's definitely ca- caffeinated. I, I don't have vices other than that. WD, how many cups of coffee have you had today 
See, I'm a little bit on the low side today. I only had time for one cup of coffee this morning. Usually I get two. What were you doing at the coffee machine just 30 minutes ago? Oh, well, that that's a uh, cup of coffee number three on the day. Okay, well, that's what I was asking. But usually I'm at about four by now. But he's low. He's a little low. <laughs> a little, little low. What's your unusual question, Darren Bott? All right, so I was at USA Baseball earlier in Cary, and I'm now I'm, I'm joining you guys from Durham Bulls Athletic Park where I've got Syracuse at Durham. Hopefully later I'm watching it pour down atop the tarp. Um, we, we, we pulled tarp onto the four fields at the complex yesterday in anticipation of this rain that's coming, and we timed it so that it started pouring right as we started pulling tarp. And I got... I mean, honestly, as soaked by rain as I've ever been in my life. What's the worst instance of, of you guys ever being like caught in the rain while having to complete something to where you can't, you know, you're not just like running and taking cover? First night I went out in Greenville, America. It's a, I, I report to school on a Friday. Me and my friend, we went out. And I remember my friend was wearing suede. I felt bad for him in the aftermath of this. We went to a place that no longer exists at ECU called Rumors. And that night, I was popular amongst a lot of very attractive women. And I'm thinking college is about to be the best experience ever for your boy. And then <laughs> and then I figured out why one of them said, hey, 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 you look like Ron Weasley. And I don't know why I didn't just roll with it, my 17-year-old self at the time, because I turned 18 a few weeks after that. But instead, I got really mad, and I left. And I was like, man, I don't look like Ron Weasley. And and then I, we walked the entire way back to our dorm room, which is about a 20-minute walk. And about, you know, halfway through as we're being drenched, I looked over at my roommate. It's one of my best friends. And I said to him, should we, like, pick up the pace? Should we, like, start running since it's, like, raining? He's like, <laughs> he's like dude, we're already wet, and this feels like a Martin Scorsese movie. All right. So we just walked the rest of the way. Also, didn't they do uh, a Mythbusters episode on that that proved if you would get more wet if you ran? It makes more sense. Like I, I get like buffaloes had the approach. Like it's the difference between cattle and buffaloes. Buffaloes run towards the storm while cattle run away, maximizing the amount of pain <laughs> they're you know right. exposed to. Darren, how would you answer uh, that question? Or I guess uh, yeah, would that be the example? It's not today, is it? It might be what happened yesterday. I'm telling you, man. It was like, save for another tarp-pulling experience in which when I was in Moorhead City with the summer collegiate team there, we got finished pulling tarp during this torrential downpour, and we ended up just sort of turning it into a slip and slide, and we just slid around on top of the tarp for maybe an hour after that. Um, but that was us choosing to stay out in it. Yesterday yeah. was nuts. Can I ask a follow-up? Can I ask a follow-up unusual question? You're broadcasting the Durham Bulls tonight. Are you required at some point of the broadcast if a player gets upset with an umpire to say, and frankly, sports fans, he used a word that's no-no with umpires. <laughs> I'm not. It's not required, but let me tell you, man, the brass here love it when you drop Bull Durham references yeah. on their broadcast. As you should. As you should. It's like, oh, like if the Dash lose like a few in a row, this is one of the toughest summers we ever seen the Dash have or, or the Durham Bulls have in quite some time. All right, WD, what's your unusual question? So one of my favorite sensations is when I hear a song 
that takes me back to a certain year that just was filled with good music and you just vibed out all summer long or whatever whatever time of year it was. So my question is, what is your favorite year of music? Mm. See, for me, it's it's a tie between between 2013 and 2016. See, but see, like Will, how what what stage of your life were you in? That's college. Because I like... would argue this this is like going into college or leaving college for everyone. Well, you might be surprised by my answer because I I entered college like a dozen years ago. Maybe a little bit further back than that. Goodness. Wow, it's been a while. Uh, no, I actually go when I was like 10 years old. 2004 was an amazing music year. Like, that's that's where I go. I don't know why I always go back to 2004, <laughs> but that's when Yeah came out. That's when songs about Jane came out. That's when Outkast right. was putting out stuff still. So I, I probably go back to 2004. Like, Nickelback was still like in peak Nickelback form. That's the year I go to. Stanconia, Outcast, I own yeah. that one on CD. It's like a like an early high schooler, I feel like. Um, yeah, and that checks out because that would have been 04-ish. Mm-hmm. I think mine is 08, the summer before I went to college. That's a great and year, too. That would have been my second choice, 2008. Like, every Akon was in everything. It, like, Lil Wayne. If you talk about just vibes, Lil Wayne... Akon was in everything. Coldplay. Um, I'm t- what's the one I'm thinking of? Viva I'm La Vida. So paid. Oh, you're talking I'm, about T-Pain? Yeah. I'm So Paid is just like the one that you would just put on in the car, and it's just instant feel good. Oh, no, that's Akon. I'm thinking of um, that was the year that Buy You a Drink came out by T-Pain. Oh, buddy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Iconic. What a, what a category. <laughs> okay. Darren Vaught, have a great call tonight. Go Bulls, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Yeah, I, I will. Uh, from the Bulls NSMA. From the NSMA next Monday, we'll talk to you. That is correct. So, quick shout-out. Jalen Davis, Northeast Guilford's own former player for App State as well, is playing opposite the Bulls for the Syracuse Mets. So, good to see a triad guy on the lineup sheet tonight. Love that. There goes Darren Vaught joining us from Durham Bulls Athletic Park. All right, Darren, hopefully you can get back. At this point, you you should just steer into the bit when you forget your microphone's on and you are talking to Darren behind the scenes, WD. You know what's funny about it, too, is I knew it mid-sentence. Like, I saw the lights right. go on and I cut it. So Ro- like, Robert Walsh, like <laughs> he would then just embrace it fully and just be like, oh, yeah? Oh, I hate Josh, too. That guy's the worst. I should do that. I think the first time I did it, well, I was... Uh, when B dot was hosting, steer into the skid. Yeah, 